Hey, how to buy a homies. Well, my little revolution for the people who's starting to get some traction. We're at over 750,000 downloads and thousands of listeners have listened to the podcast and used the strategy shared here to dump their landlords and buy their first home. As the podcast grows, I've noticed that suddenly my inbox is getting requests from all kinds of random people who want to be a guest on my show so they can talk to you. Lots of entrepreneurs and people with get-rich-quick scams. They want to use this podcast to reach you so they can give you their so-called expertise. I'm not kidding. This year, I get at least a couple requests a week. So what I've done instead is, of course, power to the people. So I scour the interwebs and I look at all the social medias and I look for like-minded people who offer education, education first, empowerment first, and help to those of you out there who really need it. I'm finding folks with big brains and mad skills, but also with bigger hearts. And today I am pleased to bring you some super dope, super compassionate, super caring people with some super rad financial advice. Let's go. What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? I am extremely excited about this today. I have a very, very special guest. Now, you guys know I'm out there looking all the time to try to find resources for you and make sure that you're getting everything that you can to help you in every aspect of trying to buy a home. And in doing that, I found Pamela and Dialect, who have an awesome podcast called Brunch and Budget, which is an amazing concept and an amazing idea. And they are really helping take a lot of the confusion out of financial preparation. You know that I got the love for them right away. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please, thanks, thanks for having, for having us having on. Us. Before we get into who you are, and everyone, just trust me, they're dope. Let's start right away and give somebody, give all of our, our listeners out there some basics. If people are listening to this, the name of the podcast is How to Buy a Home. Let's flip that for you guys. Give us some nuggets. How do you take care of your finances when you're brand new to this adulting thing? Yeah, I love I, that word too. One of the things that we often take inspiration from, and remember when we're talking about inspiration, the original meaning of inspiration is to breathe in, to take in and to give life. The thing that gives us life is the environmentalists who always say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. We often, we think that we're behind no matter where we are. I'm, I'm a musician and I remember when I was 14 and I wanted to start an instrument and someone told me I was too old. And I was like, I never picked it up because I'm too old. And we get these things and these barriers are the things that really stop us. We have actual practical problems that we need to surmount and we can, but not until we begin to forgive ourselves for the stuff that we've been told we can't. I feel like even the word adulting is a way for all of us to just like, take a breath for a second and be like, actually, no one taught you any of this stuff. You didn't learn it in school. Your parents didn't teach you because their parents didn't teach them. And amidst all of this, there's so much shame and embarrassment around not knowing about finances. That truly is step one is to say, hey, I'm not behind. I'm okay where I'm at because I got here because I had to guess. I had to like make it up as I went along. And, And part of that forgiveness is also celebration. Yeah, you don't have enough money for a down payment, but you managed to get that apartment, which required first, last, 
and a deposit, and you needed to have extra money because you didn't have any furniture. And your credit score had to be good. You've done a lot of this work. Oh my God, put that on a billboard. It's so true. There's such a fear, such a wall, such a barrier, and I don't think people realize Everybody stop and think about that. You had the credit score. You had the first and last in security. You did it, just a smaller version. You can do it again. Maybe not next week, maybe next year, but you did it. So now we got the mental, but give me an actionable first step. If somebody right now is listening to this on the treadmill and their five minutes is up and they're about to go into work, what's the one thing they can do before they listen to the rest of the podcast to start with taking care of their finances. My very first thought for that is have a savings account, open a savings account (laughs) that is at a completely different bank than your checking account. You don't even have to start putting money in it yet, but here's what happens. Here's what I've seen is you open your checking account and your savings account. It's usually at the same bank. And so you start trying to put money away into savings and then you open up your banking app to see how much money you have And you add up the checking and the savings in your head and you're like, okay, that's how much I have to spend. It's way too easy when your savings and your checking is in the same place to transfer money back and forth. Then it never feels like you're actually saving because really you're just kind of using it as a slush run for your checking. That's what I've seen over and over and over. So one of the first things that we have clients do usually is to open a savings account somewhere else. If you want to get really next level, open it at a high yield savings account at online bank like Ally Bank, Marcus, Barclays, American Express has one. We're not saying that online savings accounts are better, it's just they are more likely to be high yield because they're not paying for all the other stuff. Yeah, and high yield means that they're just paying you more interest than like a traditional bank. I am so scared to death that this is gonna be my first three hour podcast because (laughs) as you were talking right now, the reason is because I'm so excited to help people understand and break down these barriers, both from a mental aspect, from a real world. And we're gonna get into what you guys do to help people who listen to your podcast. Shocker, everybody. I really like it because they just give a bunch of stuff away for free all the time. And then when you're ready, they're able to help you with those next steps. But you said so many things. First of all, My bank just updated their app. It used to show me the four or five accounts. Now it has the cumulative total uh, headline when you open it. And so you're totally right. And for those of you guys who are are new to the whole finance game, welcome. We've got a lot of stuff for you coming up. You're going to hear like things like slush fund, hysterical. It's a term that I first heard probably on law and order back in the day or in the politics world. It's where people just feel like they're pulling money from one place to another so that it never feels like you're running out. And the yields are those profits that you're making on your interest, on your savings, which is relatively nothing these days. But that out of sight, out of mind, extra savings account, what a fabulous first tip. I love that. We're going to get deep into all this. Give us just a little bit of a background where you guys come from. I did all my research on you guys, but one of the things I that resonated with me is you guys said that you've ever felt, what did you say? If you ever felt lost, ashamed, or embarrassed about your finances, that you're here to help people break down that wall. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do, and then all the places that people can find more of this stuff, and then we'll dig into some more things. What you're bringing up is the, the point We want to help people who are lost, ashamed, and embarrassed about their finances because we've been there, our families have been there, and we want to be able to all see clear 
I like to say that we do financial planning for people who are afraid to talk about money. And that's what we found in our work. That's what I found working with clients. The reason why the brunch aspect of brunch and budget exists is because I had a friend who was literally scared to look at her credit score. She'd never looked at it before. She came up to me at a party. She found out I was in finance and she was like, Pam, I really need your help, but I'm scared to look. And I was like, do you want to do it over brunch or something? And her whole body language completely changed. Her whole face changed. She actually literally said, like a brunch and budget? And I was like, oh my God, yes. But also adding that food aspect and adding that comfort aspect to a conversation that people generally bristle at and also hide from really just allowed us to find common ground. Like we literally, like she made me a meal and we pulled up her credit score. I held her hand while she was doing it. And she was like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought. And I think getting past that barrier of the anticipation, because we all did make money mistakes, right? We all have made money mistakes. And the problem is that we punish ourselves for making those mistakes so much that we're so scared to do the next thing. And I shouldn't even say we punish ourselves because the system punishes us too. It teaches us to punish ourselves yeah. alongside the system. We're, we're ratting on ourselves. We're thinking about these things that we've done as mistakes when oftentimes we're doing the best we can to get by. And there's science behind all of these feelings. It's great to be able to break bread. And we know that psychologically. It's like, you know, that's a thing. It makes you feel comfortable. And it's just beyond being able to feel comfortable when you have community. Community is when you've got at least one other person who is there to listen to the things that you're saying. So we can create these comfortable situations out of what is the most uncomfortable thing. Studies have shown that parents would rather talk to their kids about sex, drugs, or terrorism than talk about finance. Money is such an amazing taboo. When we're talking about yeah. savings a minute ago, the reason why Pam was bringing all that up is because we don't think about saving as an active thing. We think about savings as the act of not spending. It's like, well, I didn't spend the money. It's there in savings. Creating another savings account allows you to be active about your savings, to make it a real thing that you do. Just like I learned this uh, wait, my wife, chilling is not a thing that you do passively. Chilling <laughs> isn't the act of not working. Chilling is when you go and you get the drink and you get the snack and you get the show and you get all the things that make you come back to you. And when you can come back to you, you can take that breath and then you can make the decisions that actually benefit you. You guys, I promise you, we could list one through 10 and give you the audio version of the PDF of all the things that you need to do to take care of your finances. But the reason why I talk to these guys is because they understand the mentality of it. And I'm not talking about someone like Pamela's friend who was scared of credit scores. I'm talking about people who are along the way because there are mental roadblocks all the way along. Even if you've got all your stuff together and you've got your matched 401k and you've got this, it's constant. But I die like you hit it right on the head. The chilling is active. What the problem is, the same way that people take savings as withdrawing from their life pleasure, as opposed to growing their security and most importantly, stress reliever, no anxiety. Too many people say chilling when they mean decompressing. You go home and, and you scroll for 20 minutes. I'm not chilling. I am decompressing. Nobody talked to me. I'm turning my brain off for 20 minutes. Saving is the same way. Saving is not decompressing. It's not taking away from you. It's active and it's pushing forward. One of the things that happens with finances is that there's a giant gap. There's, you learn the basics and 
the reason why my podcast listeners come into me is because it feels like it's all or nothing. It feels like it's you don't really know what's going on. And then you turn on CNBC and they're talking about dividends and quarterly reports. And you're like, what does that have to do with me? You guys are, are doing what I'm trying to do, but in the financial side, talk to us about that first mentality that you guys did where you've got the little test. I found out I was a, a money monk. Explain to us what that is. I'm not surprised at all. You're referring to our money personality quiz. It's a two question quiz. If you go to brunchandbudget.com slash personality, you can take the quiz. And this all started because no matter where you are in your financial journey, we all have a relationship with money that has gone unexamined, most mm -hmm. likely. Whether you know it or not, you started getting messages about how to feel and think about money as soon as you could start understanding words. That's where the money personalities really came from. Yeah, there are studies that show as young as six, people have a relationship with money. In our education work, we have you know another company, Pockets Change, where we work with young people. We actually had a six-year-old, and that more than once, come up and say, are we talking about money? I'm bad at money. Most of the times, the things that we're taught is that we're bad at money from different yeah, angles. Yeah, exactly. To get a little bit further than our pay grade about stuff, a lot of times these things come from actual factual trauma. It takes a lot, even more than just education, to be able to unpack these things and start making the decisions that help us. I think this is kind of common. The habits that help you survive are not the habits that help you thrive, because we do these things that are like, these are reactions to the way that money has affected us negatively. And these are armors that we put on that allow us to get through our day, but they're not building security. They're not building safety. They're not moving us forward. They're just keeping the enemies at bay for now. And I also just realized I didn't talk about what Brunch and Budget actually is. <laughs> Brunch and Budget is a financial planning practice. We're a registered investment advisor. We work with clients one-on-one -on, -one on their financial plans, but we make every single person who comes through our door take this money personality quiz. And we do it for them and we also do it for us because I feel like as a financial planner, I need to understand what your money tendencies are and where you're coming from with your relationship with money so that I can tailor my advice to that, right? Like I'm not gonna tell someone who has like one of our money personality, actually your money personality, David, has a threshold, like a short threshold for how long you can actually think about your finances. Maybe you can talk about finances all day long as a concept, but when you have to sit down and think about your finances, you have a limited threshold. Is 45 minutes, money, money monk, monk. finance educator, I'll do an eight hour workshop with you about your money. But when it comes to my own finances, I still will gloss over after about 45 minutes. When you know that about someone, when you know that about a client, we're able to say, we're only gonna tackle one thing instead of trying to tackle five. When you know that about yourself, you can also stop blaming yourself for not getting everything done in one sitting. You can break it out into smaller pieces, like these are my financial priorities and here are five different steps and I only have to do step one today. And to be a little bit more granular about Brunch and Budget is a registered investment advisor, it's a planning firm, and there is a podcast that we do together. I am not a, Pam is a certified financial planner and an accredited financial counselor. I am an AFC candidate, but not a CFP and don't plan on being one. I am a financial educator. I am the director of pedagogy at Pockets Change. We're a hip hop and finance organization for the youth where we use hip hop pedagogy to demystify a lot of these things for young people. It's a lot of the same work that we do. We kind of think of these as sister companies and they work in tandem. In the podcast, kind of our roles are Pam with the financial expertise and mine as a financial educator. I'm an artist. I'm a rapper, a theater maker. I've been a creative my entire adult life. 
And the thing that really got me the most when we started doing this podcast, because it came from our creative community, Tasty Quiche, TK in the AM, a great uh, podcaster, radio person. She invited Pam to have her own podcast. And she said, well, Dialect, come on, you know the boards and the switches and things like that. And I thought that I would just be an Ed McMahon and be like, yes, yes. You know, as an educator, I had opinions. And even more importantly, I found that not just as an educator, but as a artist, I didn't know that I was a small business owner and a freelancer and that all of the discrimination, all of the barriers, all of the paperwork, all of the self-recrimination that happens for freelancers, not only start happens with artists, but it was founded by us. It started with us. The same stuff that they're doing to the Uber drivers is the same stuff that nightclub owners were doing to us. So I was able to take a bit of that expertise combined with my education philosophy. And there we're able to find a middle ground for wherever you're at in your financial journey. It's incredible because we've talked a little off of the air, but we've never discussed this. This is a big part of, of what I'm trying to help people understand and demystifying buying a home, like you guys are trying to demist finances, is there are so many people out there that offer this service, but they strictly offer the service. What I've tried to do is what you guys are doing. I just have to do it as a split personality. I can offer the highest level of real estate services, just like CFPB, but a lot of the time we're talking about goals because people want to put everything in one box by understanding where they come from mentally, by understanding where they came from. A lot of times dialect, I have to talk to their inner child. I'm totally with you, bro. It's, it really is having the team that's going to not treat you like a number but having the team that's going to take this momentous thing and divide it into two different categories. What are the goals? How do you approach these goals? You guys get a little deeper and like, let's talk about why you maybe even have those goals and should we reassess those? And then there's the service. And that's where you give the advice and the products and all the things that you do. But that is so important for people to realize. Thank you for taking the time to email me. But if you email me three sentences I'm not going to decide from those three sentences if you should or shouldn't counter offer on that house. The only person who should be answering that question is someone who has spent an hour talking with you at minimum, if not weekends and weekends. Starting with this personality test, you open the door to these conversations. The whole brunch concept, you guys, uh, I, I think that kind of encapsulates the last three minutes of rambling that I just did, which is what I love, uh, where you take the, the finances, but you go deeper with it. So um, if someone's younger and they're adulting, comes to you in their 20s, the big, you know, what do you tell people who are just like, oh my God, just don't tell me to 401k, I wanna YOLO. What's interesting is one of the other things that we have at Brunch and Budget is this framework that we call the five stages to your financial legacy. And the stages are financial safety, financial stability, financial sustainability, financial independence, and financial legacy. If you are in the financial safety stage, if you're just starting out, that might mean that maybe you don't contribute to your 401k yet. And yes, 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 everyone will be like, but the match, what about the match? But if you don't have liquid savings in your account, that 401k match is not going to help you tomorrow when you don't have money for rent. Yeah. It's about being very clear and honest about where you are financially, because that will also help you filter what financial advice to actually take. That 401k match is something you can take on later. 
it will still be there and you're not missing out because that's the other way that we feel bad is there's this like weird FOMO around finances as if, oh, I didn't start when I was 20, so now it's over. Going back to your tree example dialect, I think that when it comes to just starting out in your 20s, prioritize saving, minimizing debt, but really and truly, I think that learning how to save and understanding what your values are around spending money and where that money goes is like really critical. Those two things are gonna make it so you don't hate your 20s. Please don't hate your 20s because you want to feel safe in your 60s. We want you to feel safe in your 60s and there's a lot of psychological stuff about how we don't know about our future selves so we have to create all these mechanisms. They're all true. But if you literally live spartanly where you're just there, you sleeping on a rock, it is not going to do you well. And even more importantly, it's gonna break you. You're not going to end up saving all that money. You're going to end up taking that money and being like, I've been so good. And then you're going to splurge and blow all of that stuff that you're doing. You have to maintain yourself in your healthy ways with your practices. And sometimes that will include spending money on things that other people will call frivolous. One of our huge things that we want to shout from the rooftops is wants our needs too. It even spells out want. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I got it. No, no, it was months later. I think we were looking at a graphic and be like, oh. I didn't even realize that until you just said it. I was talking about the kids thing. We are having our second song contest where we're asking students to make rap songs about personal finance. Go to pocketschange.com to check it out. And once our needs to is the theme of this year's contest. But the reason why that is so important to us is because... There's always been this wants versus needs, like they're battling, like you have to choose between your wants or your needs. And that is not humanly possible in the most literal sense. We have needs, yes, that we have to take care of, but our wants, the things that we call our wants are actually fulfilling our emotional needs, our needs to feel like ourselves, our needs to recharge, our need to decompress. So if you don't actually put money and include that in your budget, then you are going to do that binging thing. You're not gonna be happy. I was gonna say that's huge with housing. They teach seminars on wants and needs. I talk a lot about compromising when you're buying your first home. Have the wants and the needs and we talk a lot about it. I'm getting real deep now here. A lot of the things that I do when I'm talking about 401ks, with an example, potentially reducing your contributions for your 401k for a limited time period so that you can afford a higher monthly payment. In other words, what that sounds like is I am sacrificing, again, the chill versus decompress, the save versus bad thing. It's not just taking away because by substituting a mortgage for rent, you have a whole other part of the equation that is adding up. A lot of times people will think that I want that, but I'm just going to focus on exactly what I need. Sometimes I'll look at them and say, hey, I get it that you want to put $500 a month to your 401k. And I'm not necessarily sure that you want to call that second bathroom a want. Sure, you only need one bathroom. There's only two of you right now, but you told me you guys want to have a kid next year. You also want something that's going to be potentially better for you down the line to rent. And if that's the case, you want two bathrooms so that you could have possibly a rental with two roommates. It's that difference between work the want a little bit and consider that some of those wants can be something that you can sacrifice something else for. And that's just, that's just an amazing concept coming from a financial planner because everyone's always just like, put your money in your 401k, which by the way, gang, the market's been going up for 10 years. I don't know about contributing into your 401k for the next year or two. I'm just saying, that's just me. 
I really think that's such an important point that you brought up because life is about competing priorities Mm -hmm. and figuring out what those priorities are. The reality is you're not going to be able to do all of the things and take all the financial advice that you get. And that's why it's so important to have a very clear understanding of your values and also like the timeline around your goals. Because like what you're describing is like, basically, if someone gets like a house with one bathroom, they're probably going to have to get a new house or put in a bathroom in like five years when they have kids versus like, hey, let me like shift around my priorities and say, I'm going to stop contributing as much to my 401k right now. And that's not forever. That's like, I'm going to stop contributing to it until I make more money until I find another source of income, until my other bills go down, whatever that is. And so I think when you understand how all of these pieces fit in together and also understand that all your priorities can't happen at once, then I think that will help also give you some peace of mind. So you're saying if you make a plan, you don't have to fight. Like, I love the precise (laughs) language you've been using with this, David, where you talked about compromise and sacrifice. If we prioritize and compromise, we don't have to sacrifice because sacrifice means to kill. With sacrifice, you're either like killing a person to save a village, you're killing a dream to save another thing, and that's not going to be healthy for us. Again, not sustainable. We're simply not going to do these things. And like Pam is saying, all this feeling stuff may feel hippy-dippy, but finance-wise, if you're going to have to go buy a whole nother house or you're going to have to make a huge renovation, these things may be more expensive in the long run. I appreciate for you analytical people and pragmatic people who are listening to this and are excited about understanding and want the spreadsheets and the tips and everything that you need to do. There are emotional people and trust me, I'm in real estate. Holy crap. There's emotions everywhere. Then there are the analytical people who say, I'm not going to be dumb. I'm not going to make a decision based on my emotions. Well, actually your spreadsheet releases your anxiety. Therefore you are still emotionally making a decision. That's why I talk about the C word in my podcast all the time. Compromise. (laughs) That's why I do it. You know, what's awesome. You just added the P word to my C word. (laughs) Prioritize. We're skirting the PG 13 rating for that one folks. But because I mean, I literally grabbed my pen while you were talking dialect and I was like, oh my God, you're right. Cause now we've got prioritize and that will help you figure out the compromise and it is live a life. Now you spreadsheet people, you might feel better putting your money away, but realize why do you feel better? And then maybe take a step back and go to your inner child that needs to learn something. I actually bought some books for my kids for like teenage money management from this guy, Adam Carroll, who is big in the student loan world. Everybody's got a different way to figure it out. The reason why I wanted to bring you guys on was to demystify. On my podcast, I talk about crushing the confusion. Now, we're getting into the hippy-dippy stuff, but Pamela, I know if I grill you, we can rock all this and get into it. Let's discuss... The same thing like the environmentalist planting a tree. It's the same thing with buying a house. Now, here's the difference. Best time to buy a house is 20 years ago or yesterday. And if you can't do that, then today. So it's the same thing with personal finance, except you can do some smaller starter things. Besides listening to Brunch and Budget to educate and empower themselves, why should people not be afraid to reach out to a financial planner? Because I deal with this all the time. People TurboTax for 10 years, then they buy a house with me, and the next year, they have a house 
they won't spend $500 on a tax professional because they've been doing TurboTax for 10 years and that's the way they do it. I have them talk to a tax professional and even though they've done TurboTax for 10 years, because it's a home, it's a whole different thing. The professional helps them save another $4,000. I think that's a good return on the investment. What about for you, for someone who's scared of a financial planner? I don't want to pay somebody. I don't have $50,000 to invest. Why would I call brunch and budget? That's the most common stuff. <laughs> that is I'm, I'm going to DIY because I've been DIYing. Yeah. Again, that's to survive and not thrive. Yeah. I always say that my biggest competition isn't another financial advisor. It's people just doing nothing. It's just doing the same thing that you've done over and over, even though your circumstances have changed. And I think when it comes to financial planning, I don't want to elevate it to the point of like, oh, it's an investment in yourself because I feel like that people use that phrase too often, first of all, and use it as a way to like coerce or sell people into buying something. But if you are in a situation, usually people come to us for two reasons. One is there's an immediate pressing need, starting a family, buying a home, like making more money, changing jobs, things like that. But the other reason that people come to us is because They have tried to DIY it. They've tried to organize it themselves. They tried every budgeting app. They've read all the books and they're like more confused than when they started. And I think if you're someone who feels like that you need guidance that's specifically tailored to you, where someone is going to take into account you as a whole person and help you figure out the financial side of that, that's when it's really time to talk to a financial planner. I think the other biggest barrier though is There's a fear around like sharing your finances with someone. I remember we actually had a financial planner. Financial planners hiring financial planners is a real thing. Every financial planner should do it. Lawyers hire lawyers. Exactly. Therapists have therapists. You can't be objective about your own finances, no matter how analytical you think you're being, no matter how many spreadsheets you have. And I really resonated with what you said because my money personality is a complicator Mm -hmm. and we love our spreadsheets. I have spreadsheets for my spreadsheets. And literally what you said about the like, you are putting your anxiety onto the spreadsheet so you don't have to think about it anymore, that like spoke to me for real. Because the thing is that you can overanalyze and get into analysis paralysis no matter how on top of it you think you are. And when someone gives you the space to step back and say, actually, here's a simpler way to do it. What you thought makes more sense over here. When someone has an objective viewpoint and also someone who's a professional who's really able to to take all of the experience and all of the skills and all of the education and say, this is what I think makes sense for you, then you're able, whether or not you take the advice, you're able to make decisions from a perspective that resonates more with you and your values. Can I do my artist thing real quick? Talk about like DIY (laughs) stuff. And before I was even thought that I was a participant in the financial world, I was told as an artist, you need to work hard, nose to the grindstone, and someone is going to pluck you from obscurity. And what you're doing in the meantime, you are not saying that you're making a lot of money on your taxes and you are doing all of your expenses yourself. And I thought that I was smart. I wasn't this, I'm confused. I was like, I'm confident. I read all the stuff. I did all the things. 
I made it look like I was making the least amount of money possible. So, you know, anything that came in cash, like I was told to do, I was like discounting or only showing a, a part of that. And then I was doing all of my expensive. I read all the stuff. You did your own taxes. Yeah, costumes. Oh it was TurboTax type stuff, but like it's costumes. You can't wear this thing and going out to eat. I did all of that stuff. And then I started doing well and I wanted to get real money and grant money was available to me. And then I needed to talk to an accountant and do all this stuff. And one, I didn't get that first round of grants because they were like, oh, your financials show that you're an unsuccessful artist who doesn't make any money. Also, the accountant pulled me aside and said, please don't ever do your expenses again because all the stuff that you are expensing, you shouldn't. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that you're not expensing that you should. It's a Dunning-Kruger kind of situation. We are experts in our world, and it's good to be that. And we should also share this stuff with the people who do this all the time, rather than allowing ourselves to get beaten by the head. The same system that told me to do all this stuff is the same system that was already exploiting me. So why am I going to trust it? For all of my skeptics out there, please run into some of the expertise, and they will show you what's up. For the hustle. I came from where you came from, where there's the creative side. I was very, very fortunate. When I was 21 years old, my best friend just had been very successful and learned the lesson on his own and sent me to a, an actual tax professional when I was young. I got lucky. One of the things I see with taxes, and you guys let me know how you feel about this, what you were talking about, a lot of people do. Write everything off. I think what people don't understand is when you just make decisions, the small financial investment to work with a financial planner before you think you need to can help you avoid those type of things where you write everything off because what's going to happen is if you're just taking TikTok 30 second advice here and there, you're going to go, oh man, I can do a dope side hustle and write everything off the stuff I used to do when I was a kid, right off MTV and movies and uh, any kind of meal and entertainment because that had to do with what I was getting paid for. The problem is, and I just had a, a loan officer tell this to me recently. They're like, if you're an independent contractor and you're trying to buy a house and you come to me and show me last year's 1099 that says you made uh, $150,000 but you thought you were smart and you got your little DIY tax thing and you wrote off $75,000 and it's all legit. It can look like it. Now, whether it really is or isn't that, do you know what you're really telling the bank that you want? You're saying, you're not saying I made $150,000. You're saying I need to spend $75,000 to make $75,000. That's what you're saying. And I have people that will come to me and they'll have to go back and redo last year's taxes, reclaim $40,000 of that 75 is stuff they can't write off and then pay $10,000 taxes on that so they can show more income. If you're lost and you washing the dishes, who's zoning out right now and not listening. Yeah, that's why you need a financial planner. Because if this stuff isn't intriguing you and sucking you and pulling you in, talk to us about people coming to a financial planner at different steps, because a lot of people will say, I'm still in debt. Why would I talk to a financial planner? I have my answer. Let's hear it from you. It's interesting because when I first started this business, my first thought was like, why would someone pay me money to tell them to save money? <laughs> it felt so like counterintuitive. But as I started working with people, I realized this goes back to 
you figuring out what your priorities are and what your plan is. And it's really hard to do that when you feel like you're buried. A lot of people who are in debt can't see a way out. It feels like that one day you woke up and all that debt was there. And the way to dig out of it feels impossible. When you work with a financial professional, when you work with a financial planner who has helped people out of debt, who has helped people save at the same time they're paying down debt, who has helped people reach their goals. And also really and truly, I feel like a huge part of my job is to understand the system enough to help you figure out how to take advantage of it legally. Because a lot of things like what you said, I have actually told clients, I know you're trying to buy a house this year, don't write everything off you're planning to do. I've prevented that from happening for people because I knew their goal next year was this. So I'm saying, make sure you make as much money as you can this year. Make sure you only write off the absolute basics. Talk to your mortgage lender now and ask them how much income you need to show on your tax return so that you can tell your accountant that, right? And then let's plan for you paying that extra tax bill. Let's plan for you saving a little more every single month so that you can cover that tax liability. When you're able to have someone who's looking ahead while you're present, then that gives you the ability and the peace of mind to say, I know that there's a plan and we're looking ahead so that I can stay here and figure out what I need to do right now. And I think that when you're in debt, especially when you're in debt, it feels like the last thing you should do is to spend money on something else. But the reality is like we have helped people get out of debt because we help them shift their mindset around what the priority was. The priority when you're in debt is never to just pay down the debt. I'm just going to say that right now. If your only extra money goes towards paying down debt, you're just going to end up in more debt. And here's why. The true scenario is if all of your extra dollars go towards paying down debt and an emergency happens, how are you going to pay for that emergency? You're back in debt. This is the savings thing that we're talking about, about savings being an active thing and being an important part of what you're doing as you're trying to pay down debt. They never show this. This is never the big article of like, this couple saved $50,000 and kept it in account. They're like, no, this couple paid off 50000 in debt and now they have no money. So if anything happens, they're going to go back into debt. You're right. You got your diet pill before and after pictures. Your before and after pictures for financial planning, it's always, I got out of debt. I got out of debt. It's not, you know, uh, I saved $20,000 while I got out of $30,000 in debt. All of that makes so much sense to me, especially for people who are understanding adulting and getting into it right now. God bless you. Have big goals. Try to live debt for your entire life. Here's a truth bomb. You're going to have debt. A house is a debt. A child is a debt. A dog will put you in medical debt. Instead of deciding, I'm going to talk to a financial planner after I'm out of debt, how about you go, I'm going to have debt forever, and I'm going to work my best to get rid of it, eventually get to a point where maybe a child wants to go to school, and maybe instead of me paying for their college cash, what if I can get a loan and leverage it and work it better I think that's something people don't understand. When you're leveraging your money in your life, you don't have to be just 100% liquid. You can work with debt, learning how to manage it early. What I'm saying is don't let the fear of it stop you from talking to a financial planner because learning how to, all your priorities and learning how to handle saving and reducing debt at the same time is going to be crucial for you later on in your life. 
Every rich person that you've ever met buys stuff on debt and uses debt. We love to talk about if you got a million dollars in cash and you want a million dollars house, you're not going to buy it in cash. That's not a good idea. That's not what most folks would do in those situations. What you're talking about is also most countries. America runs on debt. We got a debt that we're never going to pay off as a country. <laughs> yeah. People will abstractly, I think like politically, like, well, China's going to come calling one day. And no, because they run it on debt too. Well, that's the thing too is like, for some reason, if you're a corporation or an entity, leveraging debt is a good thing. But when you're an individual, you are maligned for it. You're punished for it. And we're told that we need to punish ourselves for it. And this is why we keep trying to get rid of it. And the reality is, like, we have this, like, little language change that we like to talk about because we feel like a lot of people who feel ashamed about their debt feel like they're in debt. Right? That's the common term, right? You, I'm, I'm in, in debt. debt. It's like a characteristic of you. It's like a character flaw. It's an albatross on your back. A, a literal burden. But what about if instead of being in debt, you just have debt? You use debt. You're in control of it. Have and use. It's funny. You said albatross and in debt. I was thinking in a well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You're in debt versus I have debt which is you and your little plate of debt. But I love the idea of now I'm going to go from my savings and I'm going to use debt because I've done, for you people who feel emotional about your spreadsheet, I've done the spreadsheet and realized that the 4% interest that I pay, I'm going to get an 8% return. Ta-da. Oh my God. I could do this all freaking day. Let's play some email tag. Let's try to get together some stuff for next time. What I'd like to talk about with people is to help them understand it's so all tied. Every time I'm going to say something practical, I go back to the emotional. People will say to me, well, why am I going to pay for a financial advisor? And it's kind of like the same thing I say for why are you going to pay for a tax guy? You might be able to do your own taxes, but for four or five, $600, you can save five, six, $7,000. Give me the, the quick hits. What are some of the first things you're going to be able to help someone versus someone trying to do DIY for the first three to five years of make a commission of any sort of investments, but just to pay you the same way that we would pay any kind of advisor. What are some of the immediate returns that you see over the first three to five years as far as helping people get set up for life? First of all, disclaimer, results are not guaranteed. I have to say that as a registered investment advisor. What we've seen, if we're thinking about clients as case studies, is clients who have gone from $50,000 of debt to $50,000 of savings. Because instead of focusing on paying down the debt, we focused on increasing your savings. I've also seen people who are able to, by the time they start working with us to when they stop working with us, which is usually three to five years is probably a good time span. We help clients like increase their income. We help clients negotiate salaries. We help clients negotiate offers. I think the other side of it is like getting over your own imposter syndrome by having someone give you concrete and practical strategies to say, here's how to increase your income. Here's why you should say, no, I deserve more money. That's the other side of it is we talk about saving, we talk about cutting back on your expenses, we talk about like restrict, restrict, restrict. But the other side of the equation is like, how can you make more money and get paid what your work is worth? That's a big thing that we help clients with. And we've seen clients increase their income year over year. I want to share a little bit from the education side. Three years is about how long it takes to go from I have given up and I can't do this to I can be somebody. I recently had a former student on and this student was in crisis situations that I don't feel comfortable sharing publicly. It took three years of coming 
skipping, getting the notes, reaching back, asking, to go from a brilliant person who was cannonballing towards a deleterious future for themselves and others to someone who is not only a leader and organizer, but an activist and philanthropist who teaches other people how to do these things and has been able to affect hundreds of people. It took three years to go from like, I'm smart and I know I'm smart and the system is messed up, so I'm just going to give up to I will find these things because it's worth it to me. And those three years, it really is the thing that makes it worth it to you. You have to like the thing like right above your head about believing. You have to believe that this is real and this can be a thing because the system hits you in such contradictory ways. When you show a 15 year old what credit scores are like, it hits you in these such ways where you're like, I'm never going to get through it. And it's going to take time for you to get to that part, even though it seems intangible because it's about your feelings is so amazingly valuable for you it and your community. It makes such a huge difference. I mean, one of the reasons why we actually require minimum one year commitment to work with us. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is because we know it takes a year for you to just start building confidence around your finances. In that first year, we're just organizing your finances. So many people come to us and they don't know where their money is going. You have no idea how much you're spending on food. You have no idea how much your bills are. You have no idea how much you're spending on shopping and Amazon and things like that. And so just getting organized and developing a system around keeping you organized is a lot of the work in the first year. And then as you build more wealth and as you build more confidence around that, There's the other aspect of it where it's about protecting your wealth, right? Making sure you have the right insurance, making sure that you're taking advantage of all your employer benefits, making sure that you have the right estate planning documents in place. So it's all encompassing as you go. I think the biggest transformations that we've seen are people who went from like being afraid to look at their finances to being able to advocate for themselves. And for you to be able to ask questions, for you to be able to negotiate rates, for you to be able to dispute charges, for you to be able to like talk to three different mortgage lenders instead of just the one that your friend told you about. When you're able to like go in and say, hey, I can take control of the situation. Oh, my account is treating me like crap. I'm going to go to a different accountant. I don't have to take this. And so to get people to that point where they're like, hey, I don't have to take this. I can go to whatever I want and find people who will treat me right. That in and of itself is like a huge transformation for so many of our clients. I can't tell you that the educate and empower to grow a confidence. Now, like you were talking about that, if that individual three years to go from an intense buried situation to an activist and changing other people's lives, being able to have that sort of transformation. What's interesting is like Pamela, you were talking about, I don't think people can I'm glad that you feel like you can empower yourself and do everything through Google. I don't understand why there are people that are going to WebMD the hell out of every doctor. You turn off the podcast. I ain't for you. You have trust issues. You need to be on a therapist podcast and we'll talk later. The people who who I talk to in this show and what you guys do, people... Put a little trust in somebody who is trying to put the good out there, like what you guys are doing. I appreciate and understand that everybody wants to Google all this and empower it, but doing what you talked about with a coach, with a certified planner. I just did a podcast on the recession. Well, no, better example. I just did the Biden loan forgiveness one. You can take eight hours and research it, or you can listen to me who simply regurgitated the things you need to know. It's the same thing. The only difference is I'm giving it away for free, but you need to hire a financial planner. If you're going to court, you should hire a lawyer. You should hire a doctor. 
I just think it's such a small investment in yourself to hire someone like you to work for a year. You can go to the gym on your own, but 95% of you would do a lot better if you paid a trainer for a million different reasons. Accountability, someone to walk you through it. What's that thing? They say like a plane going to New York is off course 98% of the time, but the computer tells it how to change every millisecond. It's the same thing when you're trying to do your finances. Take the time, research, and then have somebody else to help guide you. Be your bumpers on your bowling lane at Cosmic Bowling. You throw the ball and it's hit the big bumpers. I could do this forever. We're going to talk after the podcast. Tell everybody where they can find you. Give us all your deets. You can find us at brunchandbudget.com. Follow us on Instagram at brunchandbudget, and that's A-N-D brunch a and d budget and then also on twitter at brunch and budget and again if you were listening about the education stuff and you're more curious about that that's pocketschange.com the same on socials it's not pocket change it's pockets with an s it's a gertrude stein quote but uh yeah pockets change everywhere is where you'll find that stuff and the contest that we were talking about is called the hip-hop fin fest and you can go to that.com and check out those things everyone out there brunch and budget you guys trying to buy a home i'm talking directly to you but now I got my mom on my shoulder and my whole family, educators and working in that world. Are you talking to other educators and giving them some resources and tools? We're, we're writing curriculum. We're all up in all of that. So all my school people, check out Pockets Change because it's way better than that dumb guy with the puppets coming to do an assembly again. God bless him. Says the guy who wore white overalls and a bright color primary colored shirt and performed at elementary schools when i was 19 and 20. thank you very much <laughs> hey hey puppet guy we'll give you a workshop and you can do some good stuff with puppets you can talk about the history of how puppets have been used to represent marginalized people all that kind of stuff we can get busy <laughs> i love it i don't know what your medium is we can find the center <laughs> find them those of you guys, go to howtobuyahome.com. Hit me up with your financial questions. I've got a podcast coming out, what to do the first year after you buy a home, based purely on listener feedback. I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to bring back Pamela and Dialect, and we're going to go through your questions. What do I ask a financial planner? Thank you guys so much. This has been incredible. I haven't done a podcast where just go into the emotion of it. And I discovered some things today and I really appreciate it because whether it's your finances or whether it's you trying to buy a home, there are some large barriers that I know we align on, but we didn't even talk about today. But because the system is out there and you have a choice, be angry about it or find a trusted coach and work and try to beat the system with people who can give you advice and God bless you. If you want to Google your life away and do it all on your own, but if you want a little bit of help and I appreciate your skepticism, just know these guys are awesome. That's I, everything's in the name. Yes. We're going to talk about your budget, but we're going to do it like brunch. Everybody can just chillax. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys so much. We're doing this again. You guys stay right there. How to buy home.com ask your questions. And you know what I say after every episode, you can do this.